Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Hi there. I am so glad that you have joined us for another Thursday edition of the Illuminated Word Podcast. I'm David McLean and our reading today is going to come from John chapter 3 verses 22 through 30. And it reads, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, Look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Well, that joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So this is a very popular section of scripture. Most of us are probably familiar with the phrase, he must become greater and I must uh, become less. But we don't want to just overlook some of the things that are in this section of scripture just because we're, you know, over familiar with it. Um, For example, you know, verse 22 begins with the words, uh, after this. Well, what is the this? After what? Well, at least contextually speaking, in John chapter 3, this happens right after uh, this interaction with Nicodemus. Remember that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says to him, you know, Rabbi, we know that you are sent from God and, uh, you know, we know that you're a great teacher. And Jesus responds with, you know, unless someone is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus comes back with the most logical question, uh, how can a person be born again? You can't enter, you know, the, your mother's womb again. Jesus responds with, unless someone is, you know, born of water and the spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of, of God. And so you have this interaction about this whole re, being uh, reborn or born a second time with, uh, with water. And now after this, after this, after this conversation, after this interaction, Jesus and his disciples go out into the countryside. And that's where he spent time with them. Uh, this, is only, uh, this is the only gospel that mentions that Jesus baptized. Um, and then and in chapter 4, verse 2, it actually specifies that he himself didn't perform the baptism, but he actually left it to his disciples. Um, it's interesting that this is the only time that Jesus is tied to uh, baptizing people. Not necessarily his baptism, but baptizing uh, other people. I also like the fact that in this, this section is the fourth section that points out ways in which Jesus fulfills and even surpasses Judaism. In chapter 2, you had Jesus providing new wine that was greater. I mean, it vastly surpassed anything that uh, contemporary Judaism could afford. And it kind of rendered obsolete uh, those those jars that were used for purification. And and also in chapter 2, in verses 12 to 25, uh, you have Jesus um, kind of We'll say overthrowing the temple, but I kind of insinuates that the temple's proper role is best seen as uh, the ultimate, well, it's anticipation of the ultimate 
mediation between God and man. Uh, in other words, you know, the temple is, is now obsolete uh, because Jesus has come. And then in the first, first uh, 21 verses of chapter 3, we see that Jesus fulfills the prophecies of a water and spirit regeneration. Uh, and he proves in his death to be the ultimate uh, antitype of the snake lifted up in the desert. Uh, and so in, in this section, Jesus surpasses John the Baptist uh, in any baptism or rite of purification that John might represent. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, just kind of success, uh, you know, in, in succession here, back to back, we have four places where Jesus is shown to be better than the religious system that these people had known uh, up to that point. Um, so Jesus' preaching and his baptizing ministry overlapped that of John the Baptist. You think, wait, well, that's not that big of a deal. Um, but a, a certain Jew, don't know who this certain Jew is. Uh, some translations say, uh, make it plural, but chances are it was specifically a certain Jew uh, had a, a, a problem with this. Uh, let me see. Let me go back to this read here. A uh, certain Jew. Well, you know, let me back up just for a second to point out something here. Um, in verse 24, John points out that since John had not been thrown into prison yet, that this happened before John was arrested. Well, obviously, duh, like John is there. Obviously, it's happened before he was arrested. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, wasn't just to remind everybody, hey, John was here. I think this was uh, not to state the obvious, um, but to explain what is, what is related here, uh, what's actually happening. And that is that this takes place earlier than any other ministry event uh, recorded in, in all the Gospels. Um, it's kind of, uh, the stance is kind of adopted in Mark chapter 1 verse 14, that Jesus' ministry begins in the period after John the Baptist had been arrested. It doesn't really report any other, well at least that's his Galilean ministry. It doesn't talk any about any other Judean ministry. Um, but John talks about them going into the Judean countryside. So this is one of the earliest things that happens in Jesus' ministry. So you're getting a, a view of something that the other Gospels didn't feel like they should, you know, or it wasn't important enough to, to write about. And so this is right at the very beginning, like right at the very beginning uh, of Jesus' ministry. And the first thing that, that kind of rose up, the first argument with this certain Jew. Now, the certain Jew did not have a problem with uh, the, the, the merits of John's baptism versus Jesus' baptism. His was over the matter of ceremonial washing. Uh, I think this is the, the clash over the relation between John's baptism and more traditional Jewish practices, uh, or maybe even the practices of other prominent Jewish religious figures, uh, compared to what Jesus was doing. Um, so it wasn't even... Uh, it wasn't even that Jesus was baptizing. This certain Jew started a complaint with the ceremonial, the cer ceremonial washing. It's like, hey, let's find let's find something nitpicky about. Let's find something as a way in to cause division or cause some problems. That you know, we want to get John going, uh, and so he gets the disciple John's disciples riled up. And that's when they come to John. They're like, hey, that that man that you baptized over there on the other side, he's over there baptizing people now. Um, it, and it's not like John wasn't baptizing anybody anymore. John and his disciples were also still baptizing. 
Uh, and apparently they, you know, it, it points out the fact that he was at Anon near Selim because there was much water there. So apparently he still had large crowds coming. Uh, so it's not like, you know, his baptisms were drying up. You know, I love how his disciples go and says, everyone's going over there to him. Well, obviously not everyone's going over there to him because people are still coming to John. It's just that dramatic, you know, kind of uh, approach to it. Well, everyone, everybody. Uh, the point here, though, is that is that Jesus and John the Baptist were both baptizing. They were baptizing in different locations, but they were both baptizing at, at the same time. You know, logically speaking, once John kind of introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, you'd kind of think that John the Baptist's role was essentially done. I mean, hey, if your job is to you know prepare the way and announce the one coming, once you announce that one coming, that means the way is prepared, your job's done. Uh, you know, two of John the Baptist's disciples got the message, and they left him to follow Jesus. But not all of John's disciples followed Jesus. Many remained with John, uh, even after John was cast into prison. Uh, even later on, he sends some of these disciples to to Jesus to ask uh, to ask Jesus if John had gotten it right. Hey, are you are you truly the Messiah? So until John the Baptist is thrown into prison, he continued to baptize. Uh, the fact that he continues to baptize after Jesus and his disciples baptized became uh, an occasion for the enemy to kind of exploit division, to, to find a crack in there. And so they get into this dispute uh, over the matter of purification. And they didn't, these, this certain Jew didn't care for, for John the Baptist or Jesus. I think they hoped they could kind of get them to discredit each other. Um, we see this when they bring up the point that Jesus... Uh, who had been baptized by John, was also baptizing and making more converts than he was. The idea was to say that Jesus was being insubordinate to John the Baptist as John had baptized first. And of course, this temptation would have, you know, ruined a lesser man, would have just made John angry, or a lesser man would have made him angry, out for revenge, let's tear him down. But the fact that Jesus' ministry was more successful was actually a testimony to the success of John the Baptist's ministry and not his failure. In fact, John's ministry would have been a total failure in the sight of God who had sent John to baptize uh, if Jesus wasn't out baptizing and making disciples. And so John answers very wisely that his ministry was a gift from God. This phrase uh, that John uses that everything you have comes from heaven. Uh, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in verse 31. That's the wrong, wrong verse. Verse 27. John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. It's a very broad statement. You know, I think we'd all agree that everything we have comes from God. It comes from heaven. Um, but I think specifically right here, John is talking about his ministry. Uh, he answers that his ministry was a gift from God. Um and so, and in his proper exercise of that gift is imperative. Um, so there has to be a sense of humility which John possessed. Um, that he, God has given him this ministry. God has given him a job, a responsibility. This comes straight from God. And that's all he's worried about. That's all he's focused on was preparing the way for the Messiah. Everything else didn't matter. Um, so John the Baptist reminds them that he had previously told him that he was not the Messiah. He said, you yourself certainly remember my testimony. You know that I said I was not the Messiah. Um, and then he says the one that who follows him was the bridegroom who was coming for his bride. 
really this is just John saying that he was simply the best man who introduced the groom. Uh, you know, in a, in a wedding party, the, the best man's job is to be there for the groom, to make sure the groom is taken care of, to make sure that everything is, is in order, uh, to just kind of prepare the way and then to sit back and watch the groom uh, marry his wife, marry the love of his life. You know, he's, he's just there to kind of, he's there to, to announce and to, to, to be there for the groom. So John basically says, uh, you know, I'm the best man here that Jesus is the groom. And then after he introduces the groom, after the, the groom and the bride meet, after that, his role is finished. And so, you know, it would be totally inappropriate to show up the groom at the wedding. Like, if you're the best man, uh, oh man, I probably shouldn't say this, but one of my favorite shows to watch is uh, is The Office. And there's this scene where um, uh, Michael, the the boss, he, he wants to be the best man. He wants to be... You know, the wedding is all about him. Jim and Pam's wedding. Uh, is all, he wants to be all about him. So how can he, you know, put on the best show? How can he, you know, be the center of attention? Well, no one would like that best man as the center of attention at someone else's wedding, right? That's what John is saying here. I'm not the center of attention. This isn't about me. This is about the groom. And that man over there who's doing those baptisms and his disciples, remember that you're fussing about? That's the groom. So stop worrying about me. I mean, being the best man is a great honor. And one should be happy that, uh, to, to be chosen for that. I was my brother's, uh, I was the best man at my brother's wedding. And, uh, you know, I was very honored that he asked me to do that. Uh, I was happy and I tried to do it the best I could. And, and then when they finally got married, you know, not only did I rejoice in what they did, but I celebrated that, hey, I did a good job too. My role was complete. Well, that's what John said. John, you know, this was the role I was given and now he is rejoicing. His role is now complete. <clears throat> There was nothing more to be done. And then he concludes with the words, he must increase, but I must decrease. In other words, he had to get out of the way and let Jesus shine. John's ministry had been a total success. This is not to say that John the Baptist was perfect, but the fact that he was still baptizing rather than referring all requests to Jesus and his disciples kind of indicates this, but, but maybe that was the real reason John the Baptist ended up in prison. We don't know. But... As long as John the Baptist was in the world alongside Jesus, there would be those who would follow him rather than Jesus. But John kept saying, it's not about me. It's not about me. And pointing to Jesus. And so, what does this have to do with us? Well, everyone wants to be popular. Uh, even, you know, or everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be accepted, you know. Um, a lot of people desire to have their egos stroked. And unfortunately, there's a generation now that gauges their importance by how many followers they have on social media or how many posts get liked. Uh, and if not enough posts are liked or shared or don't have enough friends, then they're not worthwhile. They're not important. Um, they're not successful. This is just as uh, tempting for those of us in ministry. Um, we Sometimes we want to base our effectiveness on, you know, the number of members or, you know, the number that's attending on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or in our classes or, you know, how many converts we've had. You know, we, we want to gauge our effectiveness on numbers uh, or how they, and that's very tempting to make it about us. I think a lot of times we, we gauge, we make who we are based on what we do. And I think what John here is saying is, you know, 
it's not about me. It's not about my success. It's not about how many converts I have. It's about Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. That we should be pushing Jesus to the forefront. We shouldn't be pushing how great we are or how effective we are or how talented we are or skilled we are. It's not about us at all. We, Jesus should be pushed to the forefront and we should be fading in the background. For us as a, as a church, it's not about telling people how great Westgate is, even though, we, even though Westgate is great. It's not about telling people how great Westgate is and the awesome ministries that we have and, and the things going on about, you know, let me put it this way. If we talk to people about God and, their, and, and God's love, and we use the word Westgate more than we do Jesus, that could be a problem. Because we should just be pushing Jesus out front. If this is what Jesus has done for you. Even Paul says, the only thing that I preached was Jesus and him crucified. But the only thing we should be telling people is how much Jesus loved them and the things that he did for them. And we shouldn't be taking credit for it. We shouldn't be talking about how awesome that we are. And I mean, just look how all the accomplishments that we have, everything we have, all good things come from heaven, come from God. And so we must decrease while Jesus increases. So it's not about us. It's about him. So I hope that was a blessing to you in, in some form or fashion. Uh, like I say every week, it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege to, to do this, uh, even if sometimes I'm just kind of rambling on. Uh, that'll be all right. Most importantly, I hope that you are seeking ways to be a, a blessing to those around you. God can do some incredible things if we're open to it. So I hope you are looking for those opportunities to be a blessing to someone, maybe to be the, be an ear to listen, shoulder for them to cry on. Maybe you have something that they are in need of. But keep your eyes open. And remember, it's not for us to get the glory. It's not for us to pat ourselves on the back. This is all for Jesus. So until next week, have a blessed week.